The guys are in there singing songs. You just want to be careful what you play. But um, absolutely amazing. The streams come true. Like I said, absolutely blows away anything I've ever done in my career. Um, amazing day. Obviously a hostile crowd. Four or five thousand. Did we play great? No. But I told the guys in the dressing room beforehand, it was 18 lines versus four or five thousand. And we come out on top. So couldn't be any prouder. In rugby, Stephen Ferris and Ian Keithley reflect on the URC action as Graham Routrees and Munster land a much-needed bonus point win. Yeah, we did it for the crowd, really. We had a cracking crowd turnout in terrible conditions. Not terrible conditions, bad conditions, limerick conditions. But it was pleasing to see what we're doing in training coming through. You know, what we can do when we hold on to the ball, when we're accurate in the opposition 22. What we can do when we're not giving opposition penalties and access to our own try line. And as I'd say, uh, towards the end of the game, I was really pleased with our goal line defence. In boxing, there's bronze for Ireland at the Euros, while outside the ring, Bernard Don moves to a new role with India's boxers. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Now, welcome along. Alan Pauly is with me in the studio, fresh from FAI Cup semi-final duty yesterday. Alan, you look like you were going to get taken away with the wind. <laughs> Evening, Marie. Uh, it's good to see you. Yeah. I wasn't sure yesterday during the coverage whether I would see you ever again. <laughs> I thought I was going to be blown away. All right, yeah, but um, it was a great afternoon. Brilliant atmosphere. The game, the first half was very good. Mm-hmm. Second half, I thought Shells managed the game really well. We'll probably get into it later on. But um, in terms of the atmosphere and all the crowd, considering it was such a bad day, it really was. The conditions were desperate. There was a fantastic turnout from the Waterford people. Shells brought a big crowd as well. And... Um, yeah, it was a really good day. Loved it. You know me. Love love these days out, Marie. Uh, how did you describe the poll? Like a biscuit colour? <laughs> I saw that and you were wearing a biscuit colour like today. Yeah, that's did uh... you like that one? I had a, yeah, a busy day of analysis on cup final, semi-final day and also an audition for Mary Poppins. Well, there you go. I got all sorts of stick yesterday, but I thought we handled it quite well. You did. Okay, the pro as always, Al. We're going to get into all of that a little bit later on, but to start off the programme, we are going to turn our attention to Gaelic Games. As the Munster Council are investigating an alleged assault of an under nine player during a blitz organised by the Provincial Council at Dr. Morris Park beside Semple Stadium on Saturday morning. And for more on this, Ortiz Damien Lawler joins us now. Damien, it's hard to believe that I'm even saying those words, but um, it seems to be the case that, that this happened all right. Uh, good evening, Marie. Good evening, Alan. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a an incident, uh, alleged incident took place, Marie, and there's investigations going on with on Garda Siakona and the Munster Council presently um, because the incident or alleged incident um, potentially involves an underage child uh, Gardaí are saying nothing more and the Munster Council are, are saying that they're awaiting word back from the Gardaí and their own investigations before they can make any comment themselves but um, information is out there Marie it was an underage uh, blitz an under nine blitz I believe uh, the blitz was going on right across venues in Munster mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've seen them yourself. Alan would have seen them. I've seen them. Uh, they, they bring kids together from all ages to get them more games, get them used to team environments, get some enjoyment out of it as well. Uh, unfortunately, on this occasion, there appears to be an alleged incident where uh, a non-playing member uh, of the attendance uh, entered the field and I, I guess all the reports are there that there's an investigation going on 
that maybe uh, some contact was made um, with a with a, a, a young child, underage player, in terms of uh, who's playing the game. So it's it's not. It's, it's not ideal. Obviously, it's far from ideal. Nobody ever wants to see anything like this. It's an absolute disgrace, to be honest with you. But it's, it's all um, awaiting confirmation at mm-hmm. this stage. And I guess there's probably little more that we can say on the matter until we get the reports back. But on a general level, um, it comes at a time whereby campaigns like Respect the Referee and other campaigns try and get people more aware of their behaviour on match days have been encouraged and have be, are trying to be established. But I think what it really rams home, Marie, is the need to start from scratch with a, a club ethos and a club culture and a code of behaviour. And if people don't abide by that, they're thrown out of the association. And you, you must grow up with that culture and that ethos from, from, from here on in because um, it's so hard to organise bits. You're, you're a coach, Marie. I'm a coach. Alan is too, I'm sure. And the amount of work and effort and volunteerism that goes into it. Of course, when you've got children playing belonging to you, it's very hard to stay emotionally detached. But we're seeing right around the country in recent times, events in Wexford, events in Common, but events in every county, let's be honest about it, whereby people are finding it hard to keep cool on the sideline. Yeah, and it's... It's rare enough, though, that it's it's a situation like this. You know, often it's parents fighting, coaches fighting, it's it's adults yeah. fighting. So, the fact that it has allegedly happened to an under nine player in a blitz, it's pretty frightening. And you just wonder, yeah. Damien, is this just um, like where is it going to end? I don't know. I mean, like, I suppose on a general level, Marie, you know. I suppose I, I've gone to a lot of coaching conferences over the last few years and I'd be pretty much enthralled by the, the Belgian coach admitted, mm-hmm. uh, kind of founded by Chris van der Hagen, who was one of the technical directors behind the Belgian football team, brought in a system whereby up to 18 years of age, league tables and points are irrelevant. It's all about inclusivity, getting players more touches of the ball, um, get, you know, breaking away drills into smaller-sided groups like, you know, Three, three per team. Um, even even some of the blitzes they have are only maybe five a side or even three per side, just to make sure everybody gets touched the ball. It's all about development of the player and development of the player as a person. Like, clearly, that's not in this country at the moment. Some coaches are trying to bring it through. Um, you know, I'm, I myself have been involved in development squads uh, at underage level, and you mentioned the word development over over winning, and some some other peers look at you as if you've got two heads. So. The pressure we're putting on young people, even in my view, going back to under 17 for a minor, that, that, that was a tough, tough step, I think. You know, to see young players in front of big crowds having to deal with such mental anguish after losing big finals in, in front of capacity tennises, even their own bodies and minds wouldn't be you know, fully conditioned to those needs yet. So I do feel that some excellent coaches in this country, but I think there's a culture here at underage where too much is expected. And I see myself even, I have three kids, Marie, 11, 9 and 4, and the amount of opportunities that are there for them. But that, that also brings a lot of wear and tear, it brings a lot of game, it brings mm-hmm. a lot of tiredness. You can't be at your peak every single day. But luckily, they've got coaches who understand. But, and most coaches do understand. You are talking about isolated incidents, but even one alleged incident is too much in this case. 
Yeah, I just wonder about the the consequences and we've spoken about them quite a bit over the last few months and you've seen quite lengthy bans been handed out um, in the JA for incidents that uh, reach the national media but they don't seem to be having the desired effect and you just wonder is it time to maybe get a little bit more serious and look at whole age groups or, or teams and I know it's the kids that end up suffering but messages are going to have to be sent at some stage Damien. Yeah, well, the other side of it too is if things keep going the way they are, um, there will be a shortage of referees. Mm-hmm. That shortage is there in many counties already. Um, like Studies have shown that 93% of referees have experienced verbal abuse in their career and you know a certain percentage have, have experienced uh, more serious abuse as well. So in fairness to Wexford, they handed down a 96-week ban just last weekend, Marie, mm-hmm. and that, that's a sign of the county board taking steps in, in the right direction. Um, Wexford GEA have ensured I'm just using them as an example because they're doing it right. They responded really well to a situation of adversity. Michal Martin, their chairman, led from the front. The, all the clubs had to fulfil a kind of a, a seminar or a workshop in their culture and behaviour before the, the fifth night of that week was, was, was passed and if they didn't, the clubs weren't allowed to play their, play their games or fulfil their fixtures. And unfortunately, it's the only way you can get the message across is with a fixture list. If players, teams want to play games, and if you hurt that, Marie, it's the only way really that lessons can be learned in this. So I think maybe expulsion from the association uh, is probably not a common thing, but for instances like what we're hearing the last few weeks, it has to be a deep consideration now. Also, fines not worth a course really because that money will be raised and people get on with it straight away. So yeah. I think the sooner we establish a system like rugby, and I, I hate making comparisons, but rugby have this spot on. The reason I hate making comparisons is the makeup and culture of every sport is different. Uh, but seriously, respect to referees needs a bit of attention in the GEA, and you need to build it from the ground, the ground level upwards to have any chance of implementing it long term. Yeah, well, this case anyway, if it does. Uh turn out to be investigated and prove that it happened it does feel like it's rock bottom that a, a child is yeah. you know if a child has yeah. been allegedly assaulted yeah. no, 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 no excuse whatsoever for it and I think the authorities will make their investigation mm-hmm. I, it, you know I'm, I'm certainly not putting words in anybody's uh, mouth but if it was if it was that incident that took place it's, it's obviously a moment of lunacy that that happened but it can't happen when the young players are, are on the field it just can't happen yeah. and if we're going down that road well, I, I, I wonder where we're going as an association. Yep, I agree. Demi Lawler, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a very quick break. Thank you, Marie. Stay with us. Uh, we've plenty more to come, including Alan Cawley on football. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back to Game On with me, Marie Crow. Alan Cawley is with me in studio and it is time to talk football. Alan Good weekend, watching the football. Great weekend, Marie. Every weekend's a good weekend that you're watching the football. <laughs> so what else would you be doing? Well, I watch everything else as well. I was watching boxing Saturday night. I was Actually, before we get into the football, did you see the boxing Saturday night? I didn't. It was unbelievable. Well, I heard my husband watched it and he said it was the fight of it, the year. It was one of the best fights I've yeah. ever seen. It was actually incredible. And Clarissa Shields is an absolute superstar for people that don't know. And I watched Savannah her, ring Marsh- wa- her ring walk afterwards. I watched that back. Oh my God, she's like... But, like and she's obviously, she has the X Factor. She's the superstar superstar but Savannah Marshall I've never seen a heart and determination and desire like it Marie it was incredible brilliant fight um, yeah I must watch it back now because I did hear that it was unbelievable I did enjoy Liverpool and Manchester City yesterday I have to say well I was obviously busy all weekend, all day yesterday so I watched it back earlier on Marie, and 
Yeah, I loved it. And you know how I loved it? And we're on about, obviously, the boxing being brilliant, Klopp and Guardiola. Like, you can't beat it. The passion and it, that's that's what the game is all about. And you look at Klopp and obviously they're, they're having a rough time of it, as we've discussed, but they were absolutely brilliant yesterday. And the one thing I always say about Guardiola, when they play Liverpool, and obviously the, the rivalry, the brilliant rivalry that they've had over the last two, three, four years, Liverpool are the only team that's in... Guardiola's head mm-hmm. he overthinks everything when it comes to Liverpool and he did the same yesterday changing the shape changing the formation played into Liverpool's hands obviously Liverpool were so revved up and so fired up it was like the Liverpool that we've seen over yeah. the last two or three years and it was brilliant and he does he overthinks at Guardiola for such an unbelievable coach a genius of a manager for all the success that he's had the brilliant football that they play but for whatever reason when it comes to Liverpool he overthinks it all the time I love the stats that are going around now about the Anfield crowd and Pep not being able to manage um, to win in front of the crowd at Anfield and just the fact that they haven't lost a league game at Anfield for five and a half years while fans have been in attendance. So that last defeat came uh, against Crystal Palace in 2017 when Crystal Palace won 2-1. What is it about the place, Al? Yeah, I remember watching that match funny up to Crystal Palace, the 2-1 um I remember they scored a great team goal that day. That just goes to show you five years. But funny, when that came on, when I was watching it back earlier in the atmosphere beforehand, I actually said to myself, look, Anfield looked unreal yesterday. Mm-hmm. It really did. And and for whatever reason, it's built up over a number of years, Marie, obviously with the great European nights over the years, the brilliant teams that they've had. I think it's the feverish passion that the people have in that area, working class people, absolutely love the club um, so much it's all they have in a lot of cases and you see that dotted around England to be fair uh, in a lot of places but certainly there's such a such a connection between the fans and the people of Liverpool that's probably been as I say built up over a number of years with all the amazing managers that they've had over the years and Klopp has obviously bought into that and carried that on very much so they respond to him he responds to them you see him out even when things are not going well he's almost given out to them for not cheering I love that you know and, and, and him getting sent off and adds to it of course it does and yeah. that's and people feed off that you want yeah. to see your manager getting stuck in being one of them because that's what the fans got <laughs> once it doesn't overstep the mark obviously but once it's fat once it's passion mm-hmm. once it's kind of um fiery and, and that desire especially when you're playing one of your big rivals that's what like we're going to speak about the semi-final and and, mm. and the Irish football and the cup final and Damien Duff he brings all that Marie and you can't beat it and if you're a player and as a manager that, that motivates you like that and, and almost feels as though you're doing it for him he's doing it for you you're all in it together nothing beats that Why can't Pep hold it together though like he just seems to lose the head on the line when he's in Anfield Because they're in his head. It's amazing. They're in it? his head. There was a brilliant um, <laughs> clip in the documentary a couple of years back that they did, and I always go back to this clip because it 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 speaks exactly, and it's the perfect example of of the point I'm making. They were playing Everton on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock, and the camera they had all the obviously the the access to the dressing rooms and all sorts. So while the team were at warming up, it showed Pep and a couple of his coaches inside the dressing room getting ready to play for Everton and they were over on the tactics board speaking about Liverpool's front three. And here they are playing getting ready to play Everton and he's talking about we yeah. need to do this and we need to do that and we play it. So they're unbelievably in his head as I say. Yesterday for all the plaudits and and for how good they have been so far this season and they've been brilliant and they are a brilliant team. He over the yesterday the, 
why he changed the formation it was just it was incredible you go three at the back you have the, the wing backs he's playing yesterday they don't normally play that system when they have the flat back four and the three and three and for whatever reason as I say overthinking it and he's done that in Champions League big games as well he has a tendency to do it when he feels the, the need to or up against an opposition that he obviously is very concerned and worried about and then the whole Liverpool thing in the sense that you spoke about the atmosphere and Klopp and all that feeding into the fact that they haven't been going well and it was the perfect game for them to, mm-hmm. to come out with a response Salah during the week obviously coming off the bench and getting the three and he looked seriously revved up for that game as well and they, the players you, you don't have to motivate yourself for games like that they're, they're absolutely brilliant games and they have been over the last three or four years with that rivalry it's a brilliant rivalry and that was another one that just followed on yesterday it was brilliant the second half was brilliant if any Liverpool fans actually saw the team sheet and went, Milner, okay, I'm happy enough about that. Please let me know because I don't think there was anybody who had faith in him, but he delivered. Al. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and it goes back to the point I'm making with the four-three-three. Normally, you'd have Grealish wide left, mm. and he probably would have caused um, problems for Milner. But the fact that they played the wing back, he wasn't really up against a direct opponent as such. It was only when Cancelo was pushing on. But Milner's been a fantastic player for years and years. I remember when Milner started at Leeds as a boy, as a young <laughs> fellow watching him in the under. 14s and what was it like well he played with the same team as Aaron Lennon okay. and our Aaron Lennon's brother played on our team and we were here you hear all this it's yeah. filtering down the more than club teams here you hear about oh you want to see this young mm-hmm. fella in the under oh, 12s yeah, yeah. or whatever yeah. and the word was filtering down about about Aaron Lennon and we went to watch them in the schoolboy games and he was just unbelievable like and Milner as well they were all kind of saying for all the talent young Lennon has wait to see this fella Milner and he, he had that he was very he was you look at him physically now and obviously the longevity mm-hmm. that he's had in the career and he's teetotally looks after himself so well he's the most dedicated professional but he had that physique almost as a young 12, 13 year old as well he was very, very strong and very sturdy and robust and as I said you look at the clubs that he's played for you look at the performances he's put in year after year the longevity he's had in the career and he would have relished that yesterday mm-hmm. he would have absolutely loved it Marie. so whether it's right full centre midfield no matter what position he's asked to play he was always going to and that's why Klopp loves those characters as well and and they feed off each other you know like might not be the best player in the world Jordan Henderson the same but it's their character that has them there and has them at the top for so long yeah they take it on every single time um, what about Haaland? Yeah, Van Dijk, to be fair, was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe Gomez was also very good. It was probably the best performance to put in all. Well, it definitely was the best performance to keep him quiet. He had a couple of chances, but the interception uh, near the end with where Van Dijk got back and it was looking like it was going to go to Haaland for a little tap-in and he got back, intercepted, headed over the bar. Um, and he was even looking, Martin Keown did a good piece of analysis on Match of Day last night in terms of the fact that we've seen Van Dijk almost be very passive in his defending so far this season and you can't be passive no matter how good you are whereas yesterday any time there was balls coming into the front men or Haaland or any of the little nippy little forwards Bernardo Silva he was getting up getting tight not letting them turn and when Van Dyke is on song he's like I remember I was actually at the Man City Liverpool game was it must be three years ago now and he's a Rolls Royce and I know everyone says that mm. but when you see them in the flesh and you see them live he breathes through the game and when he's, and when on, he's fully fit yeah, and yeah. he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. So um, he was brilliant yesterday. Gomez as well, I thought was outstanding. And that's, I won't say that's the template because that's Liverpool that we've seen over the last three or three years. But that's the standards that they, that Klopp has set. That's the standard they've reached over a number of years. They've let it slip in the early part of the season. But that could kickstart them now again. Yeah, it was, look, it was brilliant. It was great entertainment. And as you said, 
we're lucky to have had that rivalry as well because it's given us so many fantastic football matches and yesterday was another one of them um, Manchester United yesterday Alan what were your thoughts on their performance against Newcastle yeah it's kind of similar to what we've seen you know it's it's two steps forward and one step back almost but Newcastle have been on a good run themselves I never really fancied them against Newcastle I thought it kind of would play out to be a draw Um and it's going to take time. Like we're talking about Klopp and Guardiola being so good and, and the best two managers around. Klopp's there seven years now. He's had seven years to build at Liverpool and Guardiola, a similar story. So it's going to take Ten Hag, obviously a long time before he gets to that level. But I think he's going along nicely, Marie. His aim, I'd say his immediate aim this year is just to try and get into the Champions League and finish in the top four. And I think there's an opportunity for that with the with the teams, with all the teams start, particularly the top six at the moment because... Man City are a shoo-in for that Arsenal have probably been the surprise for in the top four but you look at Liverpool start you look at Chelsea start um, and Man City will feel or sorry Man United will feel as though they're right in the mix to be in that top four so I think they're they're ticking along okay um, but in terms of getting near Liverpool and, and Man City at the levels they've reached over the last three or four years that's going to take time Aston Villa came up short against Chelsea the last 2-0 and interestingly the Telegraph are reporting that Maurizio Pochettino is being spoken to about being the new Aston Villa manager yeah Gerard is under serious pressure and I, I, even looking at his interview last night and he's fronted up very well mm-hmm. I think he's spoken very well in, in, the, in the I saw him in the press conference leading up to this as well tough game against Chelsea but they played quite well Marie and normally when you look at a manager who's struggling it's reflected in the performances or maybe the lack of performance from the players whereas you look at that yesterday for 60 minutes Aston Villa were very good barred a mistake for Mings which was a dreadful mistake a really poor header and Mason Mount punishes him and you get punished at that level against the best teams but even Graham Potter said it afterwards like that they played really well Villa so I think the ha- the criticism and the stick that he's getting at the moment is slightly over the top and harsh. He's only been there since November. I mentioned about obviously managers needing time and, t- and uh, taking time to get to where they want to. But obviously it's because of the results, he is under pressure. But I think it's a little bit over the top. I'd be quite happy to give him another bit of time because as I said, based on that performance yesterday, it doesn't look like a group of players that are not trying for the manager are not playing. And even John McGinn said as much in his interview last night. He said the players need to take more responsibility, which they do as well. The manager will always take the brunt of it, mm-hmm. but I think the players need to step up in certain cases as well. Arsenal got a 1-0 victory over Leeds and it was hard fought, the kind of ones that you want to see them getting. Yeah, exactly, because up to now they've been so kind mm-hmm. of breathtaking in their football and they're, they're kind of blown teams away, but that was a game where they had to... They, and the old Arsenal or the Arsenal of the last three or four years that we used to speak about with the soft underbelly they would have folded yesterday in that in that game but the fact that Leeds put it up to them difficult atmosphere Leeds were very good as well again for a team that had been struggling to get a victory and he's under pressure now Jesse Marsh but they were very very good Leeds there was obviously all the chaos with the VAR stuff as well but Arsenal you're dead right Marie they had to dig in they had to grind it out they had to fight show a different side to what we've seen so far this season and they stood up to it and it was a great I'd say Arteta probably took more out of that victory yesterday than he has in some of the games where they were blown teams away because that is exactly shows them that look we're in it for the long haul we're in it for the fight I think they've been great this year Arsenal and that was a tough game for them yesterday and they stood up and it was a great result Yeah and look they're still on top and City will have dropped points yesterday as well so look they're going to keep on going to that World Cup break and um, who knows what will happen after that so let's get to uh, football here at home Alan you were in Waterford but there was the Derry City Treaty United game uh, was the earlier game and Derry City booking their place in the FAI Cup final. They defeated Limerick 2-1. The scoreline probably 
Limerick, here's me going Limerick, Treaty United, you know I'm a Clare woman, Limerick down there in Treaty United, defeated Treaty United uh, 2-1, but uh, a good performance from Treaty United to to go up against a team like Derry, who'd probably be in a different league to them, essentially. Like. They are, absolutely, Marie, 100%, and Tommy Barrett would have been under no illusions whatsoever with the, the task in hand in terms of going to the Brandywell and trying to topple Derry City, because they're fly, riding high Derry City, challenging Shamrock Rovers, you look at the result mm-hmm. yesterday in Drogheda, and they'll feel as though they can win the league now, not just the Cup because they have to play Shamrock Rovers next week so um, he would have known that Tommy Bard and this is a manager as well and I think I'm not sure yesterday if we probably gave him the credit he deserved Tommy in the sense that he's he's only taken over obviously Treaty last year assembled a new club mm-hmm. essentially um, a new side got them to the playoffs last year got them to the playoffs again this year the semi-final of the cup so he's done an absolutely brilliant job but in terms of resources and part-time players going up against Derry City full-time outfit brilliant players the, the 2-1 scoreline does flatter them a little mm-hmm. bit because Derry were totally dominant and throughout the second half they never ever looked like scoring treated. They were never really in the game. Derry were dominating. They never got that killer goal. But there was one little incident right at the Emery where Armshaw breaks away and it's a great chance that he has. And when there's only one goal, obviously, in the difference, you're always thinking, if we can hang on, we might get a chance. And that was the case at the end. He was real unlucky with a shot, to be fair to him. Um, but Derry ran out deserving winners. And, and I think, to be fair to Rory Higgins, he would have been very disappointed had he not got to the final, the fact that they had Treaty in the, the semi and the beat Shamrock Rovers in the quarter final. Yeah, it's a busy time now for Rory Higgins over the, the next little while. We'll get into the, the title race in a minute. Um, just that sec- second semi-final then, then Al, you were down at that one and um, listening to Damien Duff afterwards, you know, it was put to him, semi-finals were there to be to be won and, and he did that. But interestingly, he said he's going to have to change his mindset now because he was just focused on getting to the final. Now he's in there, so he's going to have to try and win it. He's gold. Duff <laughs> is gold. And you look at the interview, like obviously I'm talking about Guardiola and Klopp and the passion they bring and, and it seeps on to the players as well. Duff's passion is the exact same, just at a different level. So you look at him yesterday, new to the job. He mentioned in the build-up it would be the pinnacle if he was mm-hmm. to get to the final. Some people were questioning that. Did he really mean it? I think he means every word he says. That's the type he is. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And for a fella who never spoke throughout his career, you look at him now, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's it's absolutely brilliant. And he's so passionate about the management. Alan Quinn is with him, obviously, as well in the background. Joey O'Brien, mm-hmm. the same. Very passionate lads who've had great careers themselves. And to see them over here now in our league and getting to a final the FAI Cup final which is our big day the magic is certainly lost in terms of the FA Cup in England it's not lost mm-hmm. over here it's still our biggest day it's still our showpiece day and to have him in the final against one of the best up and coming managers and Rory Higgins and what they're trying to do with Derry I think it's a great story and he was probably a bit hard on them in, the, in his interview as well when he said that they're just there to win and they didn't play well they actually played very well Marie. the first mm-hmm. half were very good they should have been two or three up Luke Byrne hit the post with a header Sean Boyd had a one on one he should have scored and that would have made it 2-0, 3-0 game over and they managed the game really well in the second half they were very well organised tactically they got they got the better of um, Waterford as well because what he did what was really clever he always has two sitting players in front of the back three and he has his wing backs but he played Shane Farrell narrow and Maddie Smith almost like a box and they were kind of basically it was a 4v3 in the centre and they couldn't get the grips with it whatsoever Waterford and that's why they had so much joy in that first half particularly Matty Smith dropping into little pockets of space set up the goal as well a brilliant goal from Gavin Malloy who has a brilliant family heritage as well you look at the list of the Duns he's mm-hmm. he's a cousin of the Duns Theo and Richard and them all so that family tree is uh, another lad in the final now going on to hopefully have great success as well but I think it's brilliant for Shelburne the fact that they were newly promoted and back in the Premier Division all I was on them just staying up 
then when Damien Duff takes over all eyes is on to see what he can do I still felt don't set any unrealistic targets make sure you establish establish yourself back in the Premier Division and the fact that they've got to a final is a massive bonus and as you said he's in it to win it really. <laughs> and like the thing about the League of Ireland it's brilliant but it can be so chaotic and I didn't, <laughs> really <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here now I didn't think that he would still be here at this well, time of the season let alone in an FAO Cup final well that was the, the narrative around when he took yeah. over because obviously he had the job at Celtic and then what what happened when he was in with the Irish team and people were suggesting at right when he took over mm-hmm. that oh he could walk in the morning he actually came out and addressed that himself and said look this is the talk around the place but I'm here to stay and yeah. I'm here to, to do well and be successful and I won't be walking anywhere and I remember him doing that interview and coming out addressing those kind of claims so you look at him now he's done the full season they're in the showpiece day, as I say. And he is, he genuinely cares for me. He wants to do really well. And I I firmly believe the fact that when he said, despite all he's achieved, I remember he walked into this studio one night, right? And I don't normally get starstruck. <laughs> he walked in here and I was a bit like, whoa. Like Damien Duff is an iconic yeah, figure yeah. in Irish football. When you think of what he's achieved and the clubs that he's played for and the success that he's had and what he's won, one of the best players we've ever produced. And here he is managing an hour league and he's been he's 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 such a popular and huge addition to the league for some good reasons, for some bad reasons. He comes out and has a go at referees, he has a go at fans, he has a go at players. <laughs> but it's brilliant and he genuinely cares me and that's what we want. And to have someone of his status in the final now as I say, against up against one of the, the a great dairy team who were on who were very much on the rise as well and a brilliant up and coming manager Rory Higgins. I think it's going to be a great day in the in a couple of weeks. Do you know what's brilliant, Al? I, I sit down and, and watch football with my lads and I'm sure you're probably the same with Harry and they're looking at Damien Duff going did he play football before? <laughs> I, and I'm always trying to tell him how good he was. Right? You don't believe me. I by know the way. it's unbelievable. Yeah, it so actually it just is. shows like you know time moves on when you when you're gone, you're gone. I know, and when you think of the joy we had in looking at the great players we got to see yeah. you kind of feel sorry for the lads when they're looking and I don't mean that in a bad way now but we don't have the superstar like he was yeah. a superstar totally. Robbie Keane was a superstar Roy Keane obviously and you look at the players that are in the squad now and you think like obviously they're nowhere near that level and the young boys looking in and as you say you're trying to educate them so yeah and Tottenham they played in the Premier League every week we'd be sitting down watching them and they don't believe me at all They just and, and like you think of that Chelsea team and Mourinho and, and the level he was at and loved and adored by these yeah. people you know that's how good he was he was absolutely brilliant but I just love I love the fact that he could have easily just not bothered mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. He he's done it done it all in the game. He could have easily come back here or and, and that would have been his choice. If he wanted to do that, good luck to him and just took it an easy life and, and gone off into the sunset or wherever he's gone. Yeah. He's come back in there, as you says, into the chaos of the League of Ireland, and it is chaos at the best of times. And he's rolled up his sleeves and he's yeah. mucked in and he's got involved and he's he's bought into everything about the league, good and bad. And here he is now, as I say, <laughs> leading out the team. And he genuinely, I believe when he says this will be the ultimate for him, which yeah. is like, it's a hell of a statement to make. Yeah, and he absolutely loves it. Uh, we have a title race as well, Alan, thanks to Drada United yesterday, holding Shamrock Rovers uh, to that one-all draw. And I think it probably got overshadowed a bit because there's so much talk about the FAI Cup semi-finals, but it happened and, and now it's game on. Absolutely game on. And I had said this for the last four or five weeks, just purely based on the, the schedule Shamrock Rovers had, that I felt one of those games was going to catch up on them going from Thursday to Sunday mm-hmm. with the European run that they had. And I always felt had had if it was a clear run, they would have ran away with the league and, and they would have won it comfortably. 
but because it wasn't I always thought there might be just a little kind of spanner thrown into the works and it was obviously Andrade yesterday Andrade have had a good record mm-hmm. against him this year Andrade have had a great season When like we're talking about full time teams and budgets and resources they're one of the lowest budgets in the league and Kevin Doherty's done a brilliant job so for them to pick up the draw as you say Rory Higgins was sitting back probably delighted looking at that while he was watching the semi-final uh, the, Shel- the Shelburne match and now as you say it's in their own hands it's, if, if they beat I think it's Shelburne to have this Friday that's the game at hand and then to have Shamrock Rovers next week it's yeah. going to be an unbelievable match It absolutely will Okay Alan thank you so much uh, Stay with us though because we're going to be talking about that uh, boxing match a little bit later on but we're going to take a very quick break now and then it's Yeah, yeah. on 2FM Yeah we did it for the crowd really a cracking crowd turnout in terrible condition not terrible condition bad conditions limerick conditions but it was pleasing to see what we're doing in training coming through you know what we can do when we hold on to the ball when we're accurate in the opposition 22 what we can do when we're not giving opposition penalties and access to our own try line and as I'd say uh, towards the end of the game I was really pleased with our goal line defence Graham Rowntree there the Munster head coach speaking after their victory in Thoman Park over the weekend I am delighted to say that Ian Keatley and Stephen Ferris are with me now on the line Ian Keatley uh, Graham Rowntree said there they did it for the fans and they certainly needed that yeah, definitely. I think it was um, pure desperation. They were they were really against the ropes. And you know what? Looks like Munster are back. So I'm happy. And uh, hopefully it's a sign of things to come because uh, <laughs> they've got another <laughs> tough, tough test next week. Yeah, they were cutting it fine now with getting a, a performance before they go and play Leinster. Stephen Ferris is with us as well. So Stephen, what was different about this performance from Munster? Uh, well, I'm not sure Munster are back uh, with the bang <laughs> just yet. Um Ah, yeah, look, I think the Bulls were very, very poor, um, slipped off a lot of tackles. They didn't look like they had the appetite. Their work rate wasn't great, um, and, and Munster took full advantage. You look at the tries that Munster scored, you know, take out the, the Jeremy Lockman, you know, the try, which was just an error by Bulls, which he capitalised on. It was you know, really good work uh, with the kick chase. But apart from that, it was pick and goes over the line. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of play with Joey Carberry at out half. You know, their attack did look a little bit better. Thomas O'Hearn, when he came on, put a, a lot of impact and go forward on his carries. And they need going to need much more of that going forward. But I would like to see Munster play a similar type of rugby when they come up against better opposition to see how it goes because it just didn't feel like it was it was a performance that's going to um, you know make every Munster fan stand up and go yes we're, we're back because there was it was littered with errors as well uh, you know the line out wasn't good only 60% line out as well um, but yeah a couple of young fellas that uh, come off the bench and Adolpo as well young Edmund Adolpo was, was very good in the second row and that's somebody to get excited about Ian there was 12,000 Munster fans there and they seemed fairly happy what do you think of Stephen's comments? Oh, he's always pessimistic, isn't he? Like, <laughs> no, no, I, I can see where he's coming from. But like, you know what? From the weeks, the, the previous weeks, it definitely is a, a stepping stone in the right direction. Yeah, it wasn't perfect, but I think it was. I think it was just what they needed. Um, about like the way that they played, I just thought it was a bit more fluid. They they were running the ball, but they were also their kicking game was quite good. They were kicking, they were turning the ball's defence, and they're they're kicking at the right time. So. Over the last few weeks, I just felt that they just kept trying to carry everything, and they were trying to—it's like they were trying to play this more attractive brand of style and running the ball from everywhere. But they're just—they're just dropping the ball. And I think this week they said, "Okay, let's run the ball." But when it's when it's the right time to kick, we'll put the kicks in behind. And I know 
uh, it wasn't great uh, cover from the Bulls defence uh, but if you don't put the kicks in you don't get the kick chase there uh, you won't be asking those questions so even if the Bulls um, re- recover that ball they're still going to put in pressure and they're, they're putting pressure in the right areas of the pitch so it gave it gave the fans something to roar about and a bit of optimism now I don't think I, I can't say like they're going to go out and win against Leinster this week but if they can put in another performance at least it's something to build up Stephen I guess, look, one way of looking at it is that they've a bit done an awful lot more to do. What do they need to focus on now before heading into this Leinster game? Yeah, well, you know, I think Liam Roundtree understands um, where they're at and that they are a work in progress. And I think, like Ian and myself, he's not getting overexcited and thinking that the, the Phoenix target will be any stretch. Um, but they got to get their line out sorted. It was really disappointing against, uh, against Connacht. It was pretty disappointing against the Bulls. Um, and we know against Leinster you've got to kneel, absolutely nail your set piece so that's a, an area to work on um, and I totally agree with you know Ian as well with their fluidity and attack um, in the right areas of the pitch and Joey Carberry 10 yes he was man of the match but he kicked the ball very well he didn't just run the ball well he kicked the ball well um, and yeah there's a, there are a lot of positives maybe I'm being uh, a pessimist in me there were a few positives for sure especially that goal line defence but they're going to be tested against good opposition and you know they're going to have to put in an 80 minute performance because if they don't they're going to quite the wrong end So they are facing Leinster Ian who defeated <coughs> Connacht by 10 points to 0 on Friday night where do you think Leinster are at after watching them? Um, I still think they're in a <clears throat> in a really good place um, like I know we looked at the the way they played against the Sharks the week before when that was attacking uh, flu- fluid rugby but the, the match in the weekend I was at it and it was literally it was, a, it was a proper derby match it wasn't mm-hmm. there wasn't much space out there and some of the collisions and the defence was was just incredible um, there, um, so where I think they're at I think they're in a really good place like they had two two young wingers out in the pitch they had um, they had a young number nine Foley and they're still able to put in like a pretty decent performance while those young lads were actually surrounded by a full Irish international pack so I love the way Leinster do that they put in young guys with the experience around them and, and say, this is your chance and I thought they, they did well well on the weekend but I, yeah I just think Leinster are showing that they can they can be fluid in attack but also they can get down and dirty and and, and put on the defensive play and in fairness to, to Connacht as well they they actually played really well they got into the Leinster 22 I think 10 times 10 lineouts they had and I think they messed up all of them and as um, Stephen was saying there if Munster are going to beat Leinster this week they have to get their line out functioning On Connacht Andy Friend had a press conference today and he said that he feels like they're close but they haven't clicked yet Stephen we are underway now for a few weeks and you know it's it's almost feels like it's it's nearly too late um, Yeah you're kind of urging on that aren't mm-hmm. you um, it, it's just such a tough start for them then they get a good home win then you're trying to build on it and you're welcoming Leinster um, you know arguably the best team in the in the competition I think their attack is struggling again Cardi hasn't had much game time this season has he so he was unable to get the, the attacking game going you know you just can't afford to miss touch like it's simple things that you know when you get a penalty and you want to drive it down there and you kick the ball dead or you don't you know kick the touch it's, it's really small things like that that um, can cost your team but I think it was such an awful night you know, really mm-hmm. brutal weather conditions I thought both sides 
you know, did get down, down and dirty, as Keith said, um, or as Ian said, sorry, and, um, you know, really rolled up their sleeves. It, it wasn't a night for pretty rugby, and, you know, Leinster just had a little bit more firepower than Connacht did. Um, but I do feel that Connacht, you know, when they welcome back a full fit side and Bundyaki slips into that full fit side, they, they are a match for a lot of teams down in Galway. And, um, you know, hopefully we see this good pitch in action because the last couple of games that they've played in this pitch that's supposed to speed everything up, it's almost slowed it down. So uh, hopefully going forward, we'll see a bit more of the Connacht flair that we've seen in recent years. It's a case, Ian, where they just have to go and start winning some more games now. Yeah, <laughs> easier said that. than done. Uh, it's, it's, it's easy, isn't it, Mary? Just, Did I just tell win you a few more the, games. Uh, under sevens? I, I mean, I have this coaching thing down. <laughs> yeah, and just to go and win. No, but honestly, like, if there's one man to make that uh, iconic team click, it, it is Bundyaki. Like, I'm, yeah. he, he just he just gels the whole side. He's he's actually a good distributor, but he just gets them that go forward, uh, and they can play off that. And they are a different team um, with Bundy, and it, it just. I, I know we talk about his discipline, but uh, and his physical side, but he just he just changes that team. So they need they need him back uh, if they are going to start turn this around. Like I just said, there it's it could be too late at this time of the year. Yeah, you don't win trophies at this time of the year, but you you put yourself into position, and you also put yourself into position for for getting into Europe. And they're not doing that at the moment. So let's move on to Ulster then, Stephen. When I was looking at the scores, 39 points to 37 against the Lions. What does that tell us? Jeez, have you got 15 minutes? It was absolutely <laughs> mental. Um, both teams looked out in their feet five minutes into the match, um, just gasping for air, obviously playing at altitude, five and a half thousand feet. Um, you know, Ulster got off to the perfect start with a Balakoon try and, and then the Lions came back in and you talk about big turning points in, in matches, you know, 18-10 up, the Lions at home, 30 degrees, Ulster sort of starting to doubt themselves, and then Henkel van der Wijk, he got um, yellow carded just before the break, Ulster then scored a try through Burns, then Rob Little got one after half time. so did Stuart McCluskey, and then Rob Herring piled on more um, misery, and it was 36 points to 18, you know, after 55 minutes, and, you know, I was sitting in the studio thinking, happy days, here we go, we can have a a tea and biscuit and, uh, and, and relax and then you know the Lions just started to play a little bit looser throw it around throw a, a 50-50 offload which then would stick and Frankie Horn and Quan Horn get in for their tries and, and before you know it you're sitting there going wow this is a tight game and, and thankfully Nathan Doak had a, a penalty which sort of gave Ulster a bit of breathing space but two teams that looked that looked better in defence than they did in attack. It almost felt like it was an easier afternoon to defend because with ball in hand, it was so energy zapping and, uh, you know, fair play to both sides for getting through 80 minutes because just watching it on the TV, I was getting tired. <laughs> Eating your biscuits, you are getting tired watching it. <laughs> um, Stephen, Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Um, lots to catch up on there and we'll be talking about rugby later on in the week as well. We're going to take a quick break now, but stay with us then. It's time for boxing. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. It is 18.53 and Alan Colley is with me in studio. Alan, just a quick question before we turn our attention to boxing. Uh, Can I ask you about Spurs' victory and Doherty's return to the starting eleven? Yeah, funny that question came in because I was only thinking that when we were having the the football chat because I didn't mention Spurs and I watched the game Saturday and they were brilliant. I'm such a fan of Conte. And it's brilliant for Matt Doherty as well because we spoke here two or three weeks ago after Conte made those comments. And 
they can be really damaging to a lad who's mm-hmm. not kind of mentally strong and tough and he's had to obviously go through a lot in terms of the injury fight for his place wait for his opportunity there's been a lot going on for Matt Doherty over the last few weeks the mistake against Scotland as well and for a, to hear a manager and he wants to do so well at such a top club as well and to hear a manager say those things would have been really really kind of tough for him yeah. so for him to bounce back in the manner that he has in the last two games and particularly Saturday and it was lovely Conte went and gave him the embrace yeah. and the hug as well because he appreciates that as well and Conte loves a, a fighter and a tough lad and Darty showed all those kind of attributes at the weekend and Spurs are riding high and I still to this day don't know how Man United didn't go for Conte OK I'll, we'll get into that another time we're turning our attention to boxing and I'm sorry to say that Kevin Byrne journalist is with me on the line so Kevin the news emerged this morning that Bernard Dunn has been named as the new high performance director with the Boxing Federation of India so six months ago he resigned from a similar role with the IABA Surprised at this news? It's been in the pipeline for a few weeks, Maria. Hi, Maria, and hi, Al. Uh, yeah, it's been in the pipeline for a while. Um, he's taken a couple of trips over and back, mm-hmm. and obviously there's a good fit there. So I guess just judging him over here, and his, I guess his time was up in Ireland probably since the Olympics uh, took place, and he took a he took a, a leave of absence from the IBA after that uh, success with Kelly Hearn winning the gold medal and Aidan Walsh winning the bronze. Uh, good for Bernard Dunn getting a new, getting a very high profile and. Great new gig with a sleeping giant, which he could uh, revive India, such a big nation, you know. Um, and he could he could do great work over there. I just thought they were going to make up and it'd be all okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was some amount of rifts behind the scenes. I'm sure it's all going to come out in the wash. Like uh, obviously, there was a report made about Bernard Dunn's mm. performance in Ireland. He took great umbrage with that, and uh, I guess the relationship was severed. Effectively, went to the Olympic Games under huge personal pressure. Uh, and you have to say Ireland delivered out there in Tokyo, you know, and, and probably Dunn had a bit of vindication for himself. Uh, and it was, I'd say it was a difficult time for him as well, you know, trying to manage amidst such um, uncertainty. Uh, did a good job out there and now has a new role in his hands. Like India, population 1.4 billion, wow. uh, massive hunger for success. Only got one bronze medal at the last Olympic Games, whereas Ireland, you know, the, the, the island, you know, from a population 6.9 million, a gold and a bronze. And I'm lucky enough to get in the room with Kerr Walker as well. So, we're outperforming a giant of a country and a boxing-focused country like that. And it's no wonder that India came in from... Like, India and Ireland have a long-term relationship. India are huge admirers of the IBA and their setup. Remember being at the National Stadium 2012 prior to uh, the London Games and seeing Katie Taylor in against their life flyweight, Devendra Singh, just a, a training camp sparring session. Uh, Paddy Barnes ultimately beat Devendra for a medal at those games. But you know that you could see the coaches were interlinked and working together, and you could tell India, like where India came here to get the best quality sparring for the fighters before slotting across to London. So there's a long-standing relationship, and they've probably wanted to take someone from the Irish uh, setup for a long time. Kind of countries used to look to taking Cubans and some of the former Soviet coaches, and now you know the Irish coaches are in demand around the world. Yeah, well, good news for them, but not so good for Irish boxing when you're losing such quality people. Uh, there is some boxing on at the moment. The European Women's Championships are on in Montenegro and we have a medal in Shannon Sweeney. Finest, um, nine quarter finalists. Wow. Um, nine quarter finalists uh, across the next couple of days, you know, from Kelly Harrington to previous champion Eva O'Rourke, Michaela Walsh. Uh, all the way down the team, Casey Rock got a bite through this stage, so there's a chance of getting nine medals here. Um, 30 nations entered into the competition, no Russia, no Belarus for obvious reasons, she was at a war in Ukraine, and a chance to really pull off a massive swoop here and uh, you know, really highlight the power of women's boxing in, in this country. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. So we obviously have huge interest in Aoife, as you mentioned, Aoife work there, and Kelly Harrington. So when is Kelly in action? Kelly's fight with England is on Wednesday. Uh, a fight she will be expected to win. She's performing at a good rate, a good, good. she's in good form out there in Montenegro. Hasn't necessarily had to get out of third gear. We haven't seen the best of Kelly Harrington out there. Um... And yes, she's done enough to win her to win her bouts. She got a split decision in her last performance. It was a very, very awkward, tall Turkish opponent, Southpaw, made it difficult. But Harrington pulled it out, uh, did enough. And her first fight was against a former world professional champion. And she beat her by unanimous decision as well, uh, Hamadouche from France. So Harrington is performing at a, at a good at a good rate. Uh, Amy Broadhurst, you know, reigning world champion. She's on tomorrow as well for a medal against Serbia. She's, Amy Broadhurst seems to be winning every competition she enters as well. Uh, great subplot for when they get home to Ireland. Who's going to yeah. take the, the lightweight jersey? You know, Kelly Harrington or Amy Brothers? Because they're probably, at the minute, the number one and number two lightweight in the world That's are from amazing. Ireland. Uh, yeah. Not to mention the undisputed light, lightweight champion in the professional rank. So it's, it's very strong at that, that category for Ireland. Yeah, I know. It's like an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? It's yeah, mm. <laughs> always the way that that happens. Uh, I didn't get to see Clarissa Shields uh, fight at the weekend against Savannah Marshall. Alan has told me, though, that is one of the best fights that he's seen. Absolutely brilliant. What a weekend for women's boxing with them headlining over in the UK. Shields against Marshall. Brilliant fight. I think uh, I was no surprise that Shields came through it. I think most of the English fans, you know, rightly so, they're backing their, their woman because she has a you know phenomenal KO record. But Shields is way too good for any of that. She didn't really get involved. And she actually came out as the aggressor and she she beat up Marshall for the first kind of three quarters of the fight before taking her foot off the gas. Just to give a mention out though to uh, the Esker, Esker Box Cup as well in, in Luke and County Dublin. I was there yesterday at the finals. There was 360 female boxers competing there over the weekend. Wow. Biggest biggest female boxing tournament in the world. 14 countries <laughs> represented. Uh, Kelly Harrington given a Hall of Fame award. And all of the boxers on the Ireland team out there in Montenegro, I think bar one, Harrington herself, boxed at the tournament the last few years. So. That's, that's, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, and, and uh, funny, Kevin, I feel like I've been saying wow to everything you've been saying for the, for the <laughs> yeah, last 10 minutes. But uh, yeah, it really is all happening. That's that's amazing. Um, we'll have to check that out next time it comes around. Thank you so much 